that's one thing about the analyst community is I'm sure you're probably learning already that that it's a good group and they they're like kind of geeky and they like hearing about what other people do and they like you know, I think police and, you know, sworn people, there's just so many of them too. And they're so focused on what analysts do have, have that focus and they want to chit chat about stuff and they want to learn um, in a different way than, than cops. So, you know, stuff like this, not that police don't, I don't want to make it seem that, that they don't, but analysts are definitely a different animal. <laughs> I'm sure you'd see that better than anybody being on both sides. How was it that you get into crime analysis? Well, it was, can I say, accidentally. When I was in a graduate program at Arizona State University in early 90s, um, I just, you know, I just worked hard. I got my master's degree. I worked hard for professors. I was a TA for a stats professor and, you know, got good grades and, and was proactive and taking opportunities in graduate school. And um, unbeknownst to me, uh, somebody from the local police department, Tempe police department supervisor there was looking to bring in graduate assistants into their unit. because he had some extra money and he's, he already had two analysts, but he thought, well, if I can bring in graduate students from the school, from university, we could get more help and, you know, pretty cheap. And so I was recommended by a professor because I was good at what I did, but I didn't have any policing classes or any criminology classes or anything. I just was good at research stats and, you know, was a good student. I had my master's at the time and he came in. I still, you know, Oscar, I still remember to this day when he walked into my office and said, Hey, I'm from the police department. Do you want to, you know, come by and interview for this job? And I was like, all right. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, I did. I'm like, Hey, you know, what the heck? If I get it, it's a little bit extra money. I don't have to take out as many loans. Right. Never been in a police department before. Never been pulled over by police before. Didn't know anything about it. I'm like, all right. So I went over and interviewed and, I did okay. Uh, I think um, they were hiring two people and I was like third. And then I got through the back, nobody else could get through the background and the polygraph and all that stuff. Cause I think graduate students didn't anticipate that they would have to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I just started as a part-timer. And by the time that was in July and by then, by like say July of 94, I hate to say the year, but <laughs> July of 94 and by 90 of October 95, I was a full-time crime analyst because the position, somebody had left the position opened up and I was like, I love this. I was doing the job within a couple months. I was doing with the other, you know, I was just part-time doing the stats, doing the data, um, different projects. I loved it. And to get a full-time job, still working on my PhD. But, um, so I did that and I, I got the job and then I was, um, I didn't get my PhD for the next, until the next year. Hmm. So I worked full time and, and worked on my dissertation and stuff. So that's, I totally, I mean, it was falling into it big time. Right. Yeah. It changed my life. That one little decision. And that's why I think it's so remarkable that I rem I still remember when he came into my office, it was just so, cause that, that, that decision hit that conversation changed my, the trajectory of my entire life. Crazy. You were not planning to go into crime analysis. No, I was a PhD in sociology. My emphasis was gender studies and um, social psychology. I was going to be a women's studies professor. That was what I was on track for. I mean, I didn't really know. I mean, I was just getting a PhD, but, right. um, and, and I loved research and statistics and all that. So I, in SPSS, I was good at all that stuff, but no, I, no clue. No, that's what I mean. Accident. Totally didn't even know that was a job or even interested in it at all. Yeah. 
obviously you had a big attraction towards analysis and data, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I was an undergrad, I was like a TA for a research methods class. I taught, all, you know, helped out all my friends. And then when I was in, in my master's program, I was a TA for a stats class. So, yeah, I always loved that piece of it, probably more than the, a lot of the, you know, the theory and all that. I really loved the data part of it and applying and applying it. It was a good, what I loved about it, because when you're in a PhD program, it's very, you know, a lot of it's theoretical, even the stuff that you do with data and all that's kind of you know, interviews of people talking about things they think about, not even of real stuff. And, um, you know, working in a police department and doing data analysis was real. And it was given information and your analysis was being, it was stuff that was happening right now. And you were giving it to people who were going to use it right now. One interesting thing that I have found talking to other analysts is this thing between academics, right? And the mm -hmm. practitioners. So yeah. How did you find, did you find that to be a, a problem when you first started in crime analysis? That's a good question. I was young. Um, and so I was, I was fairly young. I was about 24, 25 years old when I started, but it was part-time, right? And so it was 20 hours a week and I wasn't like a full-time employee. So I would come in and, and I had good mentors. The two analysts who were there were good guys and they had been there for a little while. So I went on ride-alongs. Um, I, you know, I had to go out and buy new clothes to work in a professional setting because I was a graduate student, you know, graduate student in Arizona, you run around to ride a bicycle to work every day, <laughs> right. you know, so you're not wearing nice clothes. And um, the adjustment, it wasn't really from academia as much because I was, you know, I was a master's student or a, P, a first year PhD student. I was just young, right? It was young and just learning the, prof the professional side of things, you know, going to a job every day versus kind of showing up and teaching undergrads and, and working with a professor and going to class. So that was the, I think that was the adjustment more than a perspective though. I did, you know, my first ride along, there was a police, you know, a, a sergeant took me on my first ride along and, and cause I had never studied crime. I'd never studied policing and all that. And I learned, and he had really good conversations and stuff that I didn't really ever think about before. So mm -hmm. I think I went in with an open mind cause I didn't have the background of the academic criminal justice policing view of things. I just went in kind of blind, kind of blind in that sense and, and just learned on. So I think there's, my experience is a little bit different than just a straight like academic perspective of policing versus a practical perspective, if that makes sense. At what point you make that transition from being a crime analyst to getting to what you do today? It, it, my, my, I don't know if it's acting, my whole career has been accidental. I don't think so. My, this is my theory. My, how I got to where I am today was that in each job that I had, I, I did the best that I could mm -hmm. and I learned the most that I could. And I took the skills that I had and applied it because I didn't necessarily know walking into the job, how to do everything. Right. So as a graduate student, I went to the police department, applied what I did, became a crime analyst. I used to go to conferences as an analyst, but then as a PhD going to conferences and I would talk about crime analysis, but then I had the academic side background. So people would notice me. I was probably a little obnoxious. I was still young. Um, I was probably a little obnoxious at a conference here and there. So I got people's attention because some of these academics were like, hey, wait a second. She knows what we know, but she's also a crime analyst. So she knows what the police, the police side of things too. And um, so that attention, somebody noticed me and, and for a job in DC, I said, hey, well, maybe, you know, Rachel, I got a phone call 
randomly. I still remember when I was sitting at my desk as a crime analyst and I got a telephone call from David Weisberg, who I had no idea who he was at the time because I wasn't a criminology person. Right. Uh, he's he's the I would call him the, the top researcher in policing today. Right. I mean, he's done all the hot, you know, hot spots research, all that. No idea who he was. Called me and said, hey, you know, we have a job at the police foundation. Would you like to interview? I said, OK, that, all right. What's the police foundation? You know, I don't, I don't. And, you know, but it's for a senior research associate. We want you to be in charge of the crime mapping laboratory. You go around the country and you'll help other crime analysts. And I'm like, all right. So I flew out and we did an interview. And within that was the week before Thanksgiving. And by the end of January of that year, same year, I was there in D.C. Um, working at the police foundation. Wow. After that. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And after that, I. I met a lot of people, went to a lot of conferences and all that. And I met somebody who was like, hey, we have a position down here in Florida Atlantic University for a professor job. Maybe you want to apply. I think they want, you know, it's for off campus. You kind of go in, in Port St. Lucie, which is about, you know, 70 miles away from the main campus. But, you know, it's you have your you teach students there. You have to come to the main campus every so often. Maybe you should apply for that. Well, I was sick of DC, so I'm, all right, I'll apply for that. I didn't, I didn't apply for any other job but that job that year. Wow. It was the only academic job. I wasn't looking to go to academia. It was just kind of like, well, if I do that, I can write the book on crime analysis, which is what I did my first year. Because in Police Foundation, I didn't have time. So I'm like, all right. So I went there, interviewed for the job. Again, I was doing my best that I could in meeting people at that in the Police Foundation. Then I got to FAU. And so then I became a professor and then I loved it, right? <laughs> then I was able to write the book and I could go and I could help people and I could work on grants and do research on crime analysis and on, on what I wanted to. The police foundation was a little limited, but how I got to Virginia, my, I had actually a woman that I went to, I worked with at FAU, left, came here to Radford. And so they had a job opening for crime analysis and they, she knew that Roberto, my husband had just gotten PhD she called me on a random day and was like, hey, we have a couple positions open here. What do you guys think? Do you want to apply? And we said, all right, let's apply. So because I talked to my students who are in the crime analysis minor at our, you know, at Radford University. And I, and I, I tell them, I said, my experience isn't necessarily what's going to happen, but because I want them to get the education, right? They're, gonna, right? they're learning about crime analysis. I'm able to teach them all the things that I know and from the book and from my own experience. But, you know, my example to them is, well, it's probably not going to happen like that for you. But the lesson is, is do your best that you can in the job that you have at the time mm -hmm. and try to get the most you can out of it because you don't know where it's going to take you. And if an opportunity comes up, at least pursue it and give yourself a choice. Right. Right. And I think I could probably ask you the same question about the job you're in, the crime analysis job you're in right now. Right. Because you made a big decision. Right. Yeah. Yeah. N nothing like what you went through, but it doesn't sound like you have regretted any of the positions. Sound like you have really loved what you do in every day anyways. Yeah, no, definitely. I think the biggest decision was, was the one where I went from Arizona at, as a crime analyst to Washington, DC, because I sold my house in, in three days. Mm. I picked up I moved, I was, I was living in a hotel and it, I, it was like a huge snowstorm. Like the first week I got there and I was coming from Arizona. It's kind of like coming from Florida. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? I mean, <laughs> it was just, my whole life changed in a matter of six weeks. Um, from the day of the interview, 
until the day that I moved there. It was like a whirlwind, crazy. It was all, oh, and it was Y2K too. I, this is my, my brag is that my last day as a crime analyst was January 31st, 1999. And at five o'clock, I'm like, see you guys later. And they were all, wor- you know, cause it was Y2K. They were <laughs> right. all working that night. And I was like, see ya, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody was freaked out about that change. Yeah, too. freaked out. Nothing happened, but. And nothing happens. <laughs> nope. Thinking back about all that you have done so far, if you could go back, what advice would you give your younger self about your future? That's a good question. I think, you know, it's funny because I can think about this a couple different ways. Um, and I, I think I've already alluded to a little bit in our conversation already, maybe because I was thinking about these these ideas. But I think in terms of just straight up technology and skills. One of the things that I, to be better prepared as an analyst, I had all the data and the SPSS, all that would have been the mapping, right? The crime mapping, um, the GIS, I had to learn on the fly. I learned, I mean, I never had, to this day, I've never had a GIS course. Hmm. Um, Everything, I started on map info because that's what the department used. So I learned through back in the day when we had manuals, which I never liked using a paper manual anyway, but you know, you get on, you play around, you learn it. The other analysts would teach me. Um, so I think that was probably the one thing that I would have tell, told myself, but I, I wouldn't know to, to do that, but mapping would have been nice having it. And so that's a big thing for students and for anal, new analysts. Um, in terms of uh, anything else, Probably, the, you know, is the professionalism, you know, coming in as an analyst to just um, be a little bit more prepared. I was so young. I mean, at 24, I guess at the time doesn't seem young. It seems young now. But, you know, just to be more ready, to be more ready in terms of how to behave in a police department, how to, not that I, I wasn't, I didn't get in trouble or anything, but just that uh, treating a little bit more seriously. I was still kind of a graduate student, kind of a, you know, and just, just that, that side of things. Um, I don't know. I think the policing knowledge, not having that, that, um, the, the kind of academic training and policing, I think for me personally, that was a good thing. Cause I could, I walked in with a clean slate Mm -hmm. and I was just doing the analysis. I wasn't judging anything. I was just going in there and being there to assist and learn and and apply what I knew. So, so another thing I'm interested in hearing about about from you is the this concept of crime analysis versus intelligence analysis, right? Sometimes we use it to mean the same thing, but how do you see the difference between the two? You know, I'm working on the fifth edition of my book right now, and one of the things that the book people Sage make sure is that you need to make the book different enough. Like, well, what are the highlights? What are the things you're going to do that are different? And so they always send the book out for review and what people come come back, you know, say if they use it and, and what they like about it, what they don't like about it. And I always, every time, because this is now the fifth time, uh, the fifth edition that is like, oh, it needs to have a little bit more Intel, more Intel stuff. But I, in my mind, I separate those. And I know people like Marilyn Peterson, and we've had conversations over the years to that they are different disciplines. There is overlap in the sense in, a, in the law enforcement, there's an overlap definitely. And that's at that tactical, right? The pattern level, offender level. But to me, crime analysis uh, is really focused on proactive crime reduction stuff. So you're dealing with official data, right? Data that's reported to the police, calls for service that come into the police department, people who are arrested, 
um, who are known offenders who've been arrested before. And you're using that information to identify things and help the police department address crime and reduce crime in the community. Or you're using that data to provide statistics to the community, to provide performance measure types of things to the administrative, right? So administrative type things as well, where Intel is more focused on people and on groups who may be criminals or may not be criminals or could be potentially criminals or who are running a criminal operation. So in Intel, there's a lot of information you're dealing with that's not official, right? Or not police official or criminal justice. It's, it could be official in terms of financial records, travel records, uh, you know, telephone stuff, you know, all that stuff official. But, but for crime analysis, we're dealing with police reports. We're dealing with accident reports, calls for service. Um, and so that, and the purpose is different, right? The intel is really to get in. You know, that's why sometimes there's there's units with intel analysts who don't talk to anybody else because it has it has to be that super secret because of what they're working on, organized crime and different things. So that's really how I separate them: the the official information, proactive crime reduction, administrative with with not so official criminal justice focused on people and groups who may or may not be criminals at the time, or you know. And then in tactical crime analysis is where they overlap because you need to have some of that intel to help solve patterns. The patterns that you get come through the official data, but some of that solving those patterns, you need some of that intel too, mm -hmm. right? The intel analysis type thing, so. Do you feel like it's a different type of skills between one group or the other? I think it is different skills. I think it's a slightly different mindset. One of the things that I find is that sometimes people, analysts who want to be Intel analysts, but are, are but I, or say they're one analyst at a police department, and so they have to do everything, but they really want to go and dig deep and look at Facebook and, and you know, Facebook, I mean, you know, look, doing that intel of criminals and the organizational network and really digging into people's lives. But then they have to do statistics and some of the crime patterns and some of this other stuff. And they're like, that's mm -hmm. that's lame. That's boring. I want to do the, the juicy stuff where I'm in people's business. Right. right and that's right. what intel is. So I don't know if the skills are I, I think it's all analytical. Right. It's all critical thinking. You do need more data. You do need more statistical uh, types of large amounts of data with crime analysis. Where Intel, it's like you have to have that that drive to really get into the nitty gritty, right? So I think it's it's more of a frame of mind. Um, and I think once you're in that frame of mind and you have the different jobs, then those skills will be different, right? The skills because you're dealing with crime analysis, you have more of the GIS versus Intel, not as much. A little bit of a switch like you are suggesting you know when somebody when you're working on an analysis and somebody walks to your desk and asks for intel on someone i, I do feel that shift yep. that takes place in my mind but i i can go either way with it i you know i enjoy both um yeah so i think i never did intel really because we had intel analysts when i was a crime analyst i mean i was a crime analyst for five years so i had an opportunity here and there and i'll, I'll be honest with you i didn't even thinking about it now, uh, I, I personally wouldn't want to do that. Maybe because my view has always been the bigger data, some of that, you know, problem solving, large level, long term stuff, as well as pattern. Um, so, yeah, you, you like it. I'm, I'm like, yeah, you know, the fact that I never really had an opportunity to do Intel analysis, I'm not disappointed. Yeah. 
Yeah. Other people do that and like they do probably do it a lot better than I, I would do it anyway. So, right. you know, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, some, what are some of the resources that you have found helpful along the way? I would say, you know, what is, my resources have really been people. I hate to say, it sounds so weird, right? The resource, and I think, you know, this is why you do this podcast, right? Is, is, is to provide resources to um, analysts. And one of those resources is people, knowledge. I, I think about making those connections, networking with people. And I explained how I got here today. And man, that was all about networking and, and making impressions on people and having conversations um, all the way through my career. I think those are the resources I've helped. I mean, can I say academic literature, not as a, any particular book on crime analysis, did it help me? I don't know, probably. I, I don't think there's anything stand that, that stands out right now, right. you know? I think it's, it's the people, people, not just directly, but even, you know, in the associations, different analysts from different departments, um, it, asking them questions, kind of seeing what they do, products that they do. Uh, you know, I did a, a project at, at the police foundation when I was there, we were trying to come up with what's a good crime pattern. And I, I asked, went to IACA and said, Hey, can people send me, I must've gotten 200 different examples of crime patterns. Right. I mean, that, what a great resource to do my research, right? right? I mean, to, to come up with something that's, that's, uh, that others could use. So I think people, that sounds weird, but people. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Some, something you mentioned earlier is that crime analyst communities is, is a very interesting group of people. I, I yeah. noticed. Yeah. I mean, I've been this, gosh, what, 94, it's been a lot of over 20 years, 25 years now. Um, definitely that's, that's where I would put that with that in my whole career and, and, and resources for other people. And I try to be a resource for other people as well too. Right. What would you say are the like three things that you think are the most important skills uh, for a crime analyst? I, I'm probably putting, putting them into three categories. I, I don't, I don't know if these are all skills. Are these skills? Well, I'm just going to go with these three. Right. <laughs> I don't know if they're <laughs> skills as much. I, I do think, yeah, I mean, the first one maybe is what you're getting for it, but you, you do have to be able to um, use computers, obviously, technology skills. I don't mean technology and fixing a computer, though, back in the day, in the 90s, for some, when the, the officers first got laptops, they would come in our office and crime analysis and say, hey, can you fix this? Mm. My colleague would say, yeah, all right, because he was a computer geek. He could do all that. I said, no, I don't know anything about your computer, which I <laughs> knew a little. I could have helped him. I'm like, I don't know anything. So I don't mean that. I mean, you know, being able to, knowing software, being able to use software, uh, you know, whether it's Microsoft Office, uh, like you said, you know, using different software that's, hey, it's free. I'm going to use that and just figure it out. Right. That's what I mean. Understanding data, I think is important. Understanding data, databases, uh, variables, what kind of variables and how, how they're made up um, and what they do, the quality of data, all that's data stuff, right? That would be one category. I would put that with the technology, understanding data and databases. Then the second category, the second thing I think is critical thinking and problem solving, because I think... Um, critical meaning that when you're looking at data, 
you don't just take it for at face value. Okay, is, is this right? Is this the way it should be? Because there's always problems with it. There's always right. problems with the data. It's either it's how the officers put it in, it's how the dispatchers put it in, or it's because the technology wasn't working that day. I don't know. But to have that critical mind of, of, um, of the data, of what you're doing, but also critical thinking, and I don't mean criticism, I mean critical thinking of when somebody walks in your office and they say, hey, I'm looking for this. Can you help me? This is what I want to know. And you don't, you make sure that you really understand and question them. Don't just take it at face value that they want to know how many um, calls for services this apartment complex. They really want to know the kind of things they can do and what kind of responses that they could implement in the next three weeks, which is a totally different question, right? Mm -hmm. So being critical that way of thinking ahead and problem solving, hey, you have this problem. How can I help to figure out what the best way to answer your question? Not let me just literally answer your question, right? And then, so that critical thinking, problem solving. So if you had those two things, I think you could be a good crime analyst because you'd have to learn. And I'll be honest with you, those are the two things I probably had coming in. Because the third one is understanding what I think is important is understanding what police can and will can do with your stuff with crime analysis, what they will do with it, and also understanding the perspective of police and understanding crime theory how crime works, routine activity and all that. That's one thing I didn't have walking in because I, I didn't have that academic background. So I think that's important too, um, is knowing the police side of things, mm -hmm. right? Uh, at the police side, what a police department, what are they using is because they're not in the office with you and they what you think could be a great product may not be something that other people think is good because they actually have to go and do something with it, right? right. Um, so I think that empathy uh, for the sworn side, but also understanding crime. That's probably a fourth one is, is understanding how crime works, crime prevention, all that stuff. Not really skills, but kind of categories, I guess. Right, right. Yeah. It's funny. I was just talking about, I was just teaching, I teach a capstone class for our crime analysis minor. And um, I was telling my students last night, we're talking about patterns and we're critiquing patterns. They created some patterns and now they're making changes to make it, you know, make it best they can. I said, your patterns have to be good. I said, think about this as a student. If you become a crime analyst, you could have 200 people looking at your product. One, your product that you just spent 10 minutes, an hour, whatever, 200 human beings are going to look at that. And some of them may actually be held accountable and maybe get in trouble for not doing something based on something you put out. I said, it's got to be good. Right. You know, and they, they just looked at me like, wow what this is important you know this is an important job right right so what are some of the myths that you would like to debunk about crime analysis all right let's see i've got two i've got two myths how's that the first one is for students because i know that we you, you want to talk a little bit to students because you know different people use this podcast the first thing and this is so simple and i i don't know maybe at this point in the podcast people are like duh but for students, I don't know why students think that crime analysis is forensics. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's whether maybe because they call it criminal analysis. So either one of two things, either it's forensics. Back when I was starting and we had interns coming in in the 90s, everybody wanted to be a profiler, right? And we still have a lot of students who want to come in and do profiling right. of serial killers and all that. So they're like, oh, I want to be a crime analysis minor so I can do profiling or forensics. 
So no. So I think that's a common myth. I even, I mean, there was a point, I think I was a crime analyst for four or five years before my parents even knew what I did. Mm. Um, they thought I was doing one of these two things. I don't remember which one it was. I'm like, no, but that's not what I do. Do you ever listen to me? <laughs> Just in their minds, right? In their minds. So that's a big myth. And I think, you know, like I said, at this point in the podcast, I don't know if that's going to debunk anything, but I think the second thing, the second myth, I think that is important for crime analysts. Um, and I truly believe this. And I, I could have a conversation about this. And I'm sure I'd have some folks that I know, crime analysts, who would argue with me. But a myth that police officers are their main customers. That is a myth. Hmm. Police officers are not the main customers of crime analysis in a police department, if you're doing it right. Now, first of all, um, when we think about when I say main customers, I mean people who are going to take and do their job differently that day based on what you put out. Now, a police officer as a comment. So a police officer may get a pattern, but they and they may or may not look at it. Right. It's going to be that sergeant or lieutenant who's going to make them go out and do something differently, not them themselves. Right. right. So who's the customer there? So so if you say, OK. If your crime analysis only went, oops, sorry, only went to police officers and nobody else, how much would really be done with that analysis? Not much, because officers are answering call. You know, Oscar. I mean, calls for service every day. They have to go. Why do I care about analysis? I got to go to my next call. What's right. the analysis going to do? To tell me that this area has been a problem for twenty years? Big whoop! I got to go to this call, right? Yeah. So. So the main customer of the kind of things I'm talking about, whether it's crime patterns, repeat calls for service, um, long-term problem analysis, uh, even some of that organized crime, and and you know maybe for the intel it's a little bit more because you're, but even then it's going to be the specialized units, the narc units, those kind of things, patrol officers, and maybe I need to qualify this. Patrol officers are not their main customers, and so many times I go to conferences, well the officer, you know I got to get this out, we got to go to briefing, and we got to tell them all our stuff. If you send it to sergeants and lieutenants and they are required to do something, the officers don't need, ever need to see your analysis, ever, because they their jobs will change based on if they're if their supervisor. Now, you, the supervisors might provide them the analysis so they have a little better sense of it and where they need to go and why. But um, the main customers are going to be higher up people. I think that's a myth. That would be different than sending them a pattern, for example, right? Well, what I mean is you, as an analyst, you produce a pattern and most analysts do this, right? Because that's a, a core thing of what, what analysts do. So you do a pattern and you send it out to the whole police department, depending on now, see most police departments, everybody, you think, oh, the officers, they're the ones who get it because they're going to go out and look for the bad guys on the pattern. They're going to go to that area. Most of the time they don't do anything. The pattern comes out and they're like, uh-huh. And they maybe some of them who are like, gung-ho will go out and do something most of them be like yeah all right that's nice that's interesting but i have to go over here to answer my call i have to go over here and have you know wherever i want to go in between calls i'm not going to go in the pattern area necessarily unless somebody makes me and this goes back to stratified policing obviously i mean you know oscar which is a little bit beyond this this podcast but so so are the officers really the customers if they can take it or leave it they get a pattern. They don't have to do any. Nobody's making them do anything. It's their choice. If it's their choice, I'm. I in my experience, in the last twenty five years, most of them choose 
not to use it. It's mm. like, it's one of those things, like when you look up something on Google, oh, that's interesting, <laughs> and you put it away, right? That's basically what a pattern is for most patrol officers. Oh, that's interesting, and I'm going to put it away. It doesn't really change what they're going to do that day. But depending on the, the department and, and the, the, the main customer should be the higher ups who say, yes, we have a strategic approach. We're looking we're going to go out proactively. I'm going to tell my officers we need to go there and then they get the product and then they can give it to the officers. But the, that's not that what I mean by main customer is who's really going to do something with that. Right. Like I said, I started this by saying I started that myth by saying that I know a lot of analysts will argue with me on that. And I could sit and have an argument and I would love to have that argument, but in my opinion, and I get to talk, you know, I get to make the argument right here <laughs> by myself, right. um, but that would be a myth. Sure. So uh, along the, the way, who has been the most influential people or person uh, on the way that you have approached your work and career? Yeah. Um, most influential person, um, the way I approach my work and the, what I do now, I, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about, I was thinking about that. And I think as a new analyst, it was as a brand new analyst coming in. And I think that, you know, obviously it's just like an FTO in policing, right? Someone who, who's your first trainer really has influences you a lot in right. terms of how, where you're going with everything. So I think that analyst who I worked closely with when I first started was very influential in how I thought about crime analysis and and the you know working in a department and everything. But I think you know now in in expanding to what I do now in the last 15 years, it's got to be my husband, um, Roberto. I I you know we worked we started working together in 2004. His experience as a cop, talking through, we developed you know, the model stratified policing, but the conversations that we've had over the years, I have, I have learned, you know, I, I worked in a police department for five years, but I was a civilian analyst and I was young. I've learned more about a police policing um, and how that works and supervision from him that has influenced everything else that I do, whether it's research, whether it's crime analysis, whether it's giving advice to crime analysts, um, you know, I still, and I think being a wife of a cop too, probably has influenced me just in my overall perspective, because, you know, it's different when you, as an, I mean, as an analyst, you know, you, you're a civilian and you work and, and you see the cops go out in uniforms every day. And, but when you're married to a cop and you see them going out in their uniform, you know, it's, it's different because the, the safety and all that, it, it, it really comes home, but obviously Roberto's experience and, and what he and I have done taking crime analysis and really trying to make so people actually use it and institutionalize it in those conversations. Um, a lot of things that I thought as an analyst are different now, because I would have said as an analyst, I would have said, oh yeah, officers are my audience. Mm -hmm. I would have said that coming out after five years with a PhD, I would have said that. I don't say that now mm. because of what he, the things that he and I have done over the years. Right. Right. Well, I had a chance obviously to meet him and several times and I can tell you both very passionate about the work you do. So I can only imagine the conversations at, at the dinner table, right? About all these yeah. different okay. things. And then some, I mean, now that we're both professors, you know, and especially with COVID we're home, you know, we're home together all the time, but you know, we have, we have coffee, we have conversations over coffee. We have not just dinner anymore. <laughs> mm. Right. Right. 
So what advice would you give someone that is pursuing a, a job in crime analysis or intelligence analysis? Well, duplicating what I did was ve would be very difficult. And actually, I, I mean, my experience was unique. I don't even know how. And, and it's funny because I was trying to think about this. I know of one other person, maybe two, who were crime analysts. Maybe there were more than that. Yeah, maybe I'm not giving, but I know for sure. It's a couple of people that stick out of my mind who were crime analysts then went and got PhDs, then became tenured professors, right? And that is such a unique, and, and those, those professors are a little bit different because they do have that, that analysis experience, not just analyzing crime as a professor, but working in an agency. So I don't think, you know, that, that is not advice I would give you to do that. Um, there's a couple of things. If you, if you want to be a professor that focuses on crime analysis, um, I would say, but you never say you're going right to a PhD program and you're young and you're in your 20s, you know, you're 25, you're going into a PhD program and you really like crime analysis, but you're not really probably going to be a crime analyst. Um, you get a PhD, you want to go to a more criminal justice related program. And then in that program, try to work with the police researchers and try to get and work on projects where you're actually working inside the police department with the analysts or helping them do analysis, not just use their data, not just say, hey, police department, can we use your data so I can do my dissertation? No, it's actually getting in there. I have one of my ex, one of my students from Florida, um, Justin Smith, he, he's, he's just finishing up his PhD at, at UCF in Orlando. And he didn't have the opportunity to be a crime analyst, but he loved crime analysis when he got his master's with me. He went to a PhD program and really took to that, took all the classes, learned a whole bunch of stuff, probably more, you know, and he's not going to be an analyst, but he's doing the work. He's, he's focused on, he researches crime analysis. He does some of the analysis of, of larger things. So that's, that's one opportunity to um, pursue a career where you're a professor, but you're also doing crime analysis type research, right? The other side was is a crime analyst who wants to be a professor. You have to. You're going to have to. You're a crime analyst if you're going to do it right. If you want to be a tenure track professor, a tenured professor, you got to quit crime analysis and you got to go into a full time PhD. Quit your job, do the PhD, and just do the academic route. I that I, I thought about this a lot, and I think doing being a full-time crime analyst and getting the PhD, you're not going to be able to give either one enough attention. If you want to make the jump, I have a, I have a friend, I just wrote a letter of recommendation for her. She, she's not a crime analyst, but she's doing a lot of research type work, but she wants to get a PhD. She's, she's committed. She's like, I'm going to quit. She makes good money. She's going to quit her job. She's still young, get a PhD and then come back. Right. And do that thing. So, and then the last thing is a crime analyst who wants to teach, like I teach crime analysis, right? Um, it's very difficult. You, so you need a ma master's degree. Um, you have to have, it should be in criminal justice, but if you have at least 18 credits of graduate level uh, criminal justice, then you can teach a criminal justice classes. Sometimes they, they'll actually give you, um, if you teach crime analysis classes, even if you don't have the criminal justice classes, they might let you teach it because you have the experience, right? But you still need a master's degree or 18 credits. So if you want to teach, but it's very hard, say, if you wanted to quit being a crime analyst and becoming a full-time professor or like instructor, that's difficult. Those jobs are really hard to get because um, there's a lot of competition, but there aren't that many out there. More likely you're going to do is get an adjunct position, which is teaching one course or two courses. Again, with that master's degree. Um, and I argue, I love seeing crime analysts who do that because, and we just, 
we actually have two that we just brought in for our, we have a crime analysis certificate and a minor. Um, we have, we're, you know, with COVID and everything, we're teaching a couple classes online that we normally wouldn't teach online. And so we were able to get an analyst from not around the, this area because, you know, where we, we live here in Southwest Virginia, there's not a lot of people. So we have the opportunity to bring some full-time analysts who have master's degree, very professional, mm. to teach these courses. And it's awesome because I would rather the students who are interested in crime analysis, it's part of a minor, part of a certificate, they're learning for people who are doing the job right now. Right. So that's kind of three ways. I guess I was thinking as a professor, as a crime analyst who wants to be a professor, and then as a teacher, those are the kind of things I would recommend. You mentioned earlier about writing a book. What are some of the books that you can recommend for somebody? Yeah, some other books, you know, that's a good question. There's some new ones out. I think... Um, there are books, on, you know, it's funny. I was just looking up. There's some geography. Spencer Cheney just has a new book on, you know, now you're going to quiz me in terms of the titles. Um, <laughs> I probably aren't going to be able to remember them. I mean, there's some Intel books, some of the GIS books. One of the things about the, the, the crime mapping GIS books is they're very focused on spatial analysis, which isn't as focused on crime analysis. A lot of those tend to be a little bit more researchy and, and things that sophisticated Spatial analysis, we really don't need in a local police department trying to do good crime analysis for crime reduction type stuff. I'm trying to make it so my book's the only book you need, right? I mean, my book's an introductory book and it's mainly for undergrads, but new crime analysts um, can do that. I think there's a couple that the, there's a 50, a 60 steps book, which is a problem solving book that the POP Center has at Arizona State University Primary Policing Center. Um, that was by John Eck and Ron Clark. That's an awesome book because it takes not just crime analysis, but all the concepts that come from research and the theories and put it all together in very short, like two page things. Um, and they actually have techniques and statistics in there, too. So that one's really good. Hmm. Um, and it's for problem solving, but it's just for crime analysis, you know, for any type of crime analysis that you're doing. Uh, there's a couple. Yeah, I think I mean, I and pop guy, the pop guy, the pop center website, I would say would be one of the things I would send if, if I were to recommend anything. Um, I wouldn't recommend a book as much as I would recommend that website, period. Just as a crime analyst, read it all, which is, right. <laughs> I don't know how you'd have time to do it because there's so much on there. There's a lot. Yes. Yeah. You guys just had another one published recently. So, yeah. The second we just, the other book that we have is Stratified Policing. Yeah, that one's, Roberta's the first author on that one. Um, so that was not as much crime analysis, but it's all about crime analysis, though, because it's all about how you institutionalize crime analysis into an agency. You have to you have to probably look at my book to know the techniques and how to do things. But we say what you what the analyst should be doing in the one book that translates from the other book. So is there anything else you like people to know about crime analysis? Um, I would say the future is great. I tell this to my students. We just started this crime analysis minor when I came to Radford um, four years ago. There's still not a lot of classes, not a lot of programs out there, but being, I think the future is great, not just for current crime analysts getting better positions, but also uh, students coming to the field. The police departments are becoming, I mean, just with the whole world and, and how we're becoming more techie and more focused on data. It's been like that for a while. And so, you know, government takes a little while to catch up to other places. And I think we're seeing just, it's funny because when I see new 
crime analysis positions that are opening, it's a brand new crime analyst. It's not like they're trying to fill. A lot of them are just new. Like, I mean, your job, Oscar, they didn't have one. Now they do. I mean, you know, because it's important because it's something that the department, that the sheriff's office wants. So I think the future is great. And I think, and it's an exciting career. It's a great career. The money's getting better. Um, as as different as the the profession kind of evolves to a crime analyst one, a crime analyst two, and a supervisor. Um, and, and obviously it depends on where you're at in the country. I think the other thing about crime analysis is as an analyst, like I said before, one of the skills is thinking critically. So critical thinking is not just about the job that you do and working with the people and the data and ask, you know, being able to answer questions right. It's also critically thinking about the profession. So when you go to a training, when you see somebody presenting at a conference, doesn't it doesn't just like if you're in a class, right, of a professor, just because a professor says something, just because a book says it doesn't mean it's right right? You still have to take all the knowledge that you have and discussions with other analysts to say, hey, what did you think about that presentation, that, that, that um, technique that they told us? Do you think that would work? Have you used that? And to be critical and not just say, oh, I went to this training. This is how I'm supposed to do crime analysis now. Because I think there's still a lot that the profession is still young. And um, it, there are still people, there's still techniques out there that, that aren't as solid as other ones. And it hasn't, you know what I mean? Some of those are still ingrained, the old school ways. Um, though I will say, I mean, a lot of things I did 25 years ago are still relevant. I don't mean that, but there are some things that we don't need to do anymore or that aren't good methods that shouldn't be used. But I think if, oh, but I went to a training and they did it, therefore I should do it. Right. So I think that just being critical that way. So the two things that, that would be another one that I would say. Um, is just to continue. And, and I think in any profession, even if you're a doctor and you go to a conference, you hear another doctor talk about uh, a medicine or a certain thing, you say, all right, I'll take that. But let me go ahead and read the article myself, or let me look at a few and talk to a few other people to see if that is what I want to do in my office. Right. So I think that's my biggest advice. Is somebody wanted to connect with you or some of your work? What is the best way to do that? Uh, the best way is is um, through my email, which I won't what, I won't give you my email here because I want you guys all to go to my website, which is their center. So it's a rad, you can just search Radford's Radford University Center for Police Practice Policy and Research. So that has all the resources, all the things we do. And if you look at the leadership there, because um, Roberto and I are co-directors, my email's right there. So then you can go there and find my email. I mean, you can just search my name too online, but I run, I do the website myself. So I try to keep it up and um, I have articles. I, you know, there's resources on there. Um, if there's anything on there, like an article, an academic article that anybody wants, they can just e shoot me an email and get it to them because I know it's hard if you're not in a library, if you don't have a library access, you can't access all that stuff. But right. that would be the best, I think, just because you get to see a bunch of the other stuff that could be helpful um, and on your way to my email. <laughs> right. Great. Well, uh, thank you so much for being willing to sit down and talk. I would say anyone interested on learning more about it, they should definitely reach out because... The knowledge is there and it's crazy. It's just more than you're probably going to want to know about crime analysis. Yeah, no, I, yeah, you're welcome. And well, and thanks. And I, and um, obviously it's, it's great to, to see new anal new analysts come in and being excited and, and all that. And I, in my fifth edition, I will be in touch with you. I'll probably come and ask you for some um products example products or maybe a profile your profile i'll get, get you know because i always put analysts and you have such a unique experience 
I think it'd be good to see, just, just to hear students, to hear different ways people come to crime analysis, but I appreciate it. Right, just let me know. I'm happy to help in any way I can. That, awesome. I think you get a free copy, too, if you do that. You get a free copy of the, the next edition. I was- what? <laughs> That's what you have to say. Yeah.